The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Acts chapter number 11, verse number 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And just, just to grab a hold of that, they're running, they are, they're scattering, they are fleeing for their lives like we just talked about like we just viewed. Verse number 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God. What was the grace of God? The fact that there's a city of Grecians that are turning to the Lord and they're responding to the gospel message. So he saw this, uh, verse number, uh, I lost my place. Thank you. Uh, and had seen the grace of God and was glad. He was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the, unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year... They did what? They assembled themselves with the what? The church. And taught much people. So they were assembling just like us. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Read that together with me. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in, the days came prof in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up uh, one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth, a famine, throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, that's the region down by Jerusalem, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Father, thank you for your word. And we open it up this morning knowing that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit, and we invite you to do that. We give you permission. Uh, Lord, to the best of our ability, we're surrendering our hearts to you, and we are asking you to, to move us, to change us, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, these are in uncertain days. And in reality, uh, these last days that you told us would come uh, have always been uncertain. And so, Lord, I pray that in the midst of chaos that you would clarify our vision, that you would help us to realize what we're a part of, what you're doing in our lives, what you want us to be a part of. And I pray that you would move us this morning closer to your purpose closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do pray that if there is someone that does not know you as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would receive you by faith. We'll give you praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 18 says this. Jesus, after hearing from Peter that he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said this, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, Jesus was saying, upon this rock, upon this foundation of truth, Peter, I'm going to build my, uh, uh, build my church. He was not saying that upon Peter he would build the church, though the apostles were the foundation of the church according to the book of Ephesians. But he did say upon this truth, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would build my church. I have told you before that the doctrine of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he is God, that he was the God-man, is the dividing line between Christianity, true biblical Christianity, and all other religions. So if you try to simplify it and try to figure out what is, what is different, why, why are all these religions? By the way, Satan always tries to confuse. That's what he's done to our world today. 
But we can cut through all that, realizing that the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, him as deity, cuts through all that. And upon that doctrine, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, the churches that are making much of the Lord Jesus Christ, that are exalting him as the only way to have eternal life, those are the ones that are continuing to be built. And uh, we want to do that around here. There's no greater activity in all the world than the building of the Lord Jesus Christ's church. What we are doing here this morning is more important than any event. It's more important than any show. It's more important than any political event. It's more important than anything else in the world that's going on. This is Christ's church assembling together. Christ is building his church, and he's continuing to encourage you. He's continuing to add people to his church, and uh, both here and, uh, and around the world. But this is the most important thing. Sometimes we say, well, what is, what is the church? It's a called-out assembly of believers by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's key. It's not just a called-out assembly. It's called out by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many assemblies today. There's guys that are assembling at the pub today but they're not a church, you understand? There's people that will assemble for family gatherings. They'll, they'll assemble from the rest of people, but they're not, they're not a church. What is a church is a called-out assembly of saved and baptized individuals by the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is not an organization like a corporation. It is a living organism. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why wherever it goes, whether it's in Cameroon or up in Morocco, wherever it goes, or whether it's here in Kettering, Ohio, wherever it goes, it represents the Lord Jesus Christ in that place, being his hands, his feet, his mouth, his, his mind in that place, his love in that place. And so we come into Acts chapter number 11. We've already seen this mission report of Peter going to Lydda and to Joppa and up into Caesarea and seeing the Philippian jailer uh, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. and Not the Philippian jailer, the, uh, the, the centurion up there uh, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this amazing news report that came back in Acts chapter number 11, verse number 1, and the church of Jerusalem's like, what in the world's going on? And finally they come to the realization that God is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, that God is not a respecter of persons. Aren't you thankful? Because that means you and I have been able to hear and receive the gospel. And so as we come here to verse number 19, we get a glimpse as the church just continues to move on. And it's, it's, it, it's hard to describe what we're seeing here in, Act, in the book of Acts. And by the way, God doesn't want that to stop. God wants that to continue in our day. And by God's grace and through his power, it can. And I want to be a part of that. Acts chapter no, number 11 in verse 19, we see the unstoppable advance of the church. The church is just moving on. And you say, well, wait a minute, I thought I saw persecution happening there in verse 19. How can the church move on in the face of that? The church is unstoppably moving on because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He meant that when he said it. It's a promise. And in this passage of scripture, we find that the church, even in the midst of chaos and problems and difficulties. They're still encouraging one another. They're still caring for one another. They're giving to one another's needs. Even to those needs that are outside of their own locality, they're giving. And is this all happening because things are going well? No, not at all, because things are, are very difficult at this time. It was not an easy time. It was a time of uncertainty. It was a time of struggle. And I believe even as we've come into this year, it seems like, you know, you come to 2020, we had, you know, great 2019, we come into 2020, and it seems like everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and we're like, now how's the church going to proceed forward? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what is encouraging, particularly to me in this passage of Scripture today, is that I get a glimpse of an uncertain time for the church, and yet it's still moving on in an unstoppable way. And it's still doing the exact things that we're doing right now. We're assembling, we're encouraging one another, we're praying for one another, we're caring for one another, we hear of a need, we give to one another, we're sharing the gospel, we're seeing people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? God wants that to continue. The book of Acts is not some dusty history book that is, is for a time in history that is never to be repeated. The book of Acts is for today. We should, we should look at this and say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here in Antioch, the church is advancing not in spite of persecution, but because of persecution. 
And in our minds, we think, well, what's going to happen if we're, if we're threatened and if we're persecuted? What's going to happen? What would we do if we were threatened? Listen, the church goes on in Cameroon. The church goes on in China. The church continues to go on in face of persecution because of persecution, not in spite of it. And I want you to notice in, in verse 19 the effect of persecution on this church. Particularly, right now, we're talking about the church of Jerusalem because verse 19, look at it with me, and now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Remember back in Acts 6 and 7, we have Stephen, this deacon, who was full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith. He begins to preach, and people got mad there in Jerusalem. They ended up stoning him for his faith. And we find that because of persecution, the church is scattered. In our minds, we want to keep things together. We want to keep everyone that's been in the church. We want to keep everyone together right here. We want to have our comfortable little circle. But God is scattering the church through persecution. Notice kind of the timeline with, uh, with, with Stephen's death. Uh, somewhere around 33 AD, Jesus Christ was, was, uh, was put on the cross. Uh, and he rose again. And that is what gives us the assurance of his triumph over sin, death, and hell. Aren't you thankful for that? He is not in the grave. He lives, he lives. I serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. I know it because he lives within my heart. He lives within my heart. So Pentecost happens in that same year. And that is when the Holy Spirit came uh, uh, upon the church and empowered them. Jesus told them to wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now they would have power after that. They received the Holy Spirit and they would be witnesses in that area and all throughout, uh, all, all throughout the world. And so after that, we come to Acts chapter number 6. Stephen, the church is advancing. The church is growing. God is adding to the church. And Stephen begins to preach and begins to ruffle feathers. The uh, religious leaders there in Jerusalem were not happy about it. They were uh, losing a grip on their, their power. They thought they had put uh, Jesus in the grave, uh, yet he arose again, and now he's being preached in the streets. And Stephen is preaching this message, and they want him to stop. He would not stop. Persecution intensifies, and he is killed, and because of that very thing, we have kind of a ripple effect that just goes across the book of Acts, of God continuing to build his church because of it. And here in verse number 19, we are alerted by the Holy Spirit of God that because of that, that moment of persecution, that, that whole persecution that arose around Stephen, God's church was continuing to be built. Listen, God, we... We will not be stopped by opposition, by persecution. That's not something that I'm saying as a prideful thing, but the church of God will continue on. And we need to believe that, and we need to surrender ourselves to that. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution intensifies. The gospel spreads to Samaria. Remember Philip? He goes up to Samaria. Many people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. God moves him down onto the road down to Gaza, and he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And so now where does the gospel go? Yeah, in Africa. God's word is spreading as a result of persecution. Saul is born again, the great persecutor of the church. Saul is born again, Acts chapter number uh, 9. And what a wonderful thing. And then the Gentiles begin to hear the gospel too. And it's an amazing thing that God is doing as he continues to build his church. We come to 41 AD, and we find that Barnabas is now sent up to minister and to check out what is going on up in Antioch. And so we have this time frame. I hope that you catch what's going on. I want us to catch by this, that the church is not all that old. Can you remember? Can you remember about uh, less than tw uh, 10 years ago? The church is not all that old, but it's advancing. It's moving forward. It's doing what it has been commanded to do. God is adding to the church. The church is growing in him. And so this scattering happened, the, the timeline you see, but this, uh, I want you to see kind of where this, this scattering happened. Look at this map with me. Uh, it, the Bible says there in um, verse 19 that they went as far as Phoenix, the Phoenicia. That's a, that's a region. Uh, so that's a city in a region. And uh, Cyprus went out into the to the Mediterranean Sea, to that island nation, and went up to Antioch. And this is what I really want you to catch. That is 319 miles away. Uh, I was over in, in, in West Virginia, and it's, it's over 300 miles away. 
I'm just, I'm just processing this with our modes of transportation. We can do that in a day. Uh, but for them, this, this was quite a journey. God's word is spreading. And so it's spread into these areas. God specifically wants us to know that these believers had been scattered. And they've been scattered like that. Listen, let me ask you this. What would happen if in our country persecution happens and you have to leave your home? Are you submitted to the Lord? Are you willing to be scattered? And in that scattering, are you willing to do the will of the Lord? These guys were scattered. Now, I want you to notice who was scattered. Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 1 tells us that, and Saul consenting unto his, Stephen's death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they all were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so we're getting a picture that the scattering even went further here in Acts chapter number 11. But it says this, except the apostles. So who was scattered? Who was scattered? The church. People like us. They were scattered. So we're talking about Businessmen, we're talking about some deacons, we're talking about some housewives and some teachers, we're talking about people like you and me, we're talking about folks that attended and assembled at the church of Jerusalem and yet they're all scattered, the church was scattered, not the apostles. And that is very important to understand, was this a bad thing? Was this a bad thing? Isn't this what God wanted in the first place when he said in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8 that we would be witnesses all through that area and all around Samaria and, and all around Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth? Isn't that what God said? Yes. And I want us to catch this, that our church building plans, when we think if we were to come up with a church building plans or devise a vision for how church would be built, most of the time our plans would not in, involve uh, scatterings and upsets. They would always, they would typically involve uh, this matter of settledness and comfort. How can I settle down? I want to live here for the next 20 years. I want to I be in this place. I want peace. That's not necessarily God's plan. And for the church at Jerusalem, God scattered them using persecution or allowing persecution before they were huddled in Jerusalem. You could call it a holy huddle. For you that have read that, that book that we read uh, back around the beginning of the year, uh, know about the holy huddle, the becoming a welcoming church. That, the holy huddle, that's what Jerusalem was. That holy huddle, they were in Jerusalem. Hey, we have our programs. We have everything we like. We like this gathering. God said, no. You're not accomplishing what I, I wanted you to accomplish. Now they're everywhere representing the Lord Jesus Christ. The pieces of the body of Christ went everywhere. They're scattered. And as they were scattered, Christ in his body and through his body was being represented in many more places. Friends, that's what we need in our world today. Uh, the church in America, we have become, we have become very comfortable with the status quo, with peace, with comfort, convenience, with our routine. Did not our routine get shaken up? Didn't it just get all just like, it got put inside one of those, like, those, uh, those uh, shake makers that some of you guys that go to the gym, you have the ball inside, and 2020 was like that ball inside that shake maker, just, just, just turning it all up. Yeah. Do you think God allowed this? You know, I think the church, I think we are spiritually healthier for 2020. I, I think what God is doing in your hearts, it just gives evidence to the fact God is doing something in our lives, and it's not because everything is comfortable. Listen, let's submit to that. The Bible says here in verse number 19, they went everywhere, the end of 19, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. I want you to notice the church, as they were awakened by persecution, became obedient. They became obedient to the Lord. He told them to go everywhere preaching the gospel. And notice as they went, as they were being scattered, they're on the move, they're preaching the, the word. 
This word preaching here has the idea of expressing in speech. So their speech was the word of God. I want you to let that sink in. They, they were not, this is not the idea that they said, okay, it's Saturday now, or it's Wednesday at 5.15, and now I need to go out and preach the gospel. This is the idea that as they were going, what they were talking about was the word of God. They were expressing the word of God. Hey, do you know what I just read in the Bible? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And that whosoever will can be saved. They were talking about it as they were going about as they were picking up their groceries, as they were picking out their bananas. Whatever they, they were talking about, it, they were expressing it in their speech. And that's the idea of verse 19 at the end there. They did this, but they, they were focused, as these, these Christians coming from Jerusalem, they were focused on the Jews first, the Jews only. And God would change that. There was, God was still leading them along. But they would, that would open up in time. But as for right now, this is how they were going about it. They were speaking everywhere they went. They were preaching Speaking the word of God, look at verse number 20. And some of them were of Cyprus and Cyrene. So we already saw that island city, uh, the island nation Cyprus and Cyrene. Some of these Gentiles, when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the gospel is now being taught here, preached here. This is the idea to evangelize. And so this is to convey the gospel, to bring the good news, exactly what God told us to do in Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to evangelize, preach the gospel to every creature. And I want us to understand that the church, as a result of persecution, was obedient to the Lord. Now how easy is it when times are smooth and when sailing is smooth for us to just kind of get in our, in our routines and forget that we have a mission to be accomplishing? How easy is it? Honestly, for all of us, it's easy. It's easy for the Grace Baptist Church to get comfortable and not be about the master's business. It's easy for you dads to get comfortable. I go to work at this time. I get off at this time. It's easy for you. There'll be tomorrow to give that person that tract or to witness that person that the Holy Spirit is burdening me about. There'll be another time. I don't have time right now. And it gets really easy for us to get comfortable in our routines and let our routine dictate whether we speak the word of God and so on. I just want us to know that God upset them and moved them to obedience. Perhaps 2020 is what God has done to upset the American church to move it to obedience. You, are you with me on that? I can see it. Just being over and enjoying the fellowship of this, uh, the believers at the South Branch Baptist Church, the same spirit that is since in this place, God moving in our hearts, there being more people saying yes to the Lord, is the same spirit I felt over there. I believe God is doing something in, his, in, in the church at large, in our, in our nation, and what a blessing it is in these local churches, and what a blessing it is as we move to obedience, uh, there is great blessing, because notice in verse number 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. Now, I want you to understand something, that without verse number 20, and their obedience to the Lord, there would not be a verse 21. Without verse number 20 and them saying, we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to evangelize, there would not be the hand of the Lord being upon them. And the hand of the Lord refers to the power of God. Don't you want the power of God on your life? Listen, learn to obey God. Learn to put into practice his word. Don't be hardened to the word. Don't be hardened to as we come into a time like this. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Expect the power of God, the enablement of God to be upon you as you obey him. God gives power to obey his will. God gave Jesus Christ power, the ability to obey his will. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He went to the cross. He went through the worst, worst execution that a man could go through. He had the power to do so. He was obeying the will of the Lord. Let's follow his example. When we're obedient to the will of God, we can expect the power of God upon our activity. Perhaps why churches like ours struggled, Lord, why aren't you doing more? Perhaps it's because we lacked the obedience and we weren't seeing him come through in his power. And there is nothing that God tells this church, Grace Baptist Church, to do that he will not enable us to do if we'll take that step of faith and obey. 
Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Do you believe that God has more for the Grace Baptist Church? Do you believe that God wants us to be involved in church planning in this, this region? Do you believe that God wants us to do that? Let's take that step of faith. Let's be obedient to the Lord. Church planning has been the dream of God, the mission, the plan of God from the book of Acts until now. He didn't stop. Many times we got, we got, oh, we'll build our kingdom, we'll build our church, we want it all to stay here. Listen, God says, no, I want it to all go out there. I want to get my message out there. And if we will simply say, Lord, we'll obey you, we'll go. You say, well, I'm, I'm safe, I'm not, I'm not called to be a pastor. Listen, do you know who is being scattered? What happens in a, in a year from now, our congregation looks very, very different because God has taken and set you in a new church plant. I'm not trying to push people away. Remember, his, his vision, not ours. His will, not ours. Are, are we okay with that if God moves us? Are we okay with God saying, I want you here? And I want you to be encouraging the believers. I want you to be uh, speaking the word. I want you, as you go about your business, I want you to be doing this. Listen, let's obey him right now in this place and let's be submitted to him. I want us to realize as what is going on, is they're obedient in Antioch? Antioch became a center for the gospel to the Gentile world. Antioch was considered to be uh, like the third city of Rome. It was a key city. God doesn't do anything by accident. Uh, God is, is taking cities that would be powerhouses for the gospel platforms, uh, and he's bringing the church right into the devil's territory, and he is setting it up and building it in that place to send out the message of the gospel in amazing ways. So as they're on the Rontes uh, uh, River and in, in nor, uh, nor, north of Palestine, it was considered to be the third city of the Roman Empire, and uh, in some ways it's been dubbed as the, 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 the Paris of that day if you can think of Paris, the Paris of that day. Uh, it, it was an amazing city. And I want us to grab a hold of this. It's a remarkable, as we read this account, that we do not see any specific names of the, the people that were scattered going up into that, that area and beginning to see the church planted and going forward. It's remarkable. Now, if we were doing it, we want all the names, we want to know who the pastor is, and, and, and so on. We don't see any of that. You realize God is moving his, his body, Christ's body, into this place. He's establishing a church that would begin to meet together, that would assemble. Uh, we see a little bit later on with uh, Barnabas. They are assembling for a whole year there with the church. It's called a church there in Antioch. God is doing that. Church is not built through personalities. That's our mindset. That's our American mindset. The church is not built through personalities. It's rather built through nobodies like you and me as we make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the personality. Friends, what is happening here in the book of Acts is a group of people that say, we're fleeing for our lives, yes, but as we go, we're going to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they went, God established churches. What an amazing thing. And God planted a church right there in Antioch. And I am reminded of the truth of 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Uh, ye are God's building. God is the laborer. We labor along with him. Aren't you thankful that as a believer you get to be a co-laborer with God? Isn't that a great thing? And I, I praise his name for that. And so this new assembly that's happening up there in Antioch is a great thing. God is doing this. This is something that, that God has called out out of the world, out of the paganism, out of the, the false belief of, of worshiping Caesar in that area, out of all the idolatry, out of all the wickedness. He has called out a group of people for himself, and this church has been established. And I want you to know how the church at Jerusalem responds to this. Now before, they were, they were having a little bit of a struggle they began to criticize what had happened over in Caesarea with Peter. But they have learned their lesson. In verse number 18, look at our passage. When they heard, when they heard these things, Peter's report, they be, uh, held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. 
And so now the church has had a mind change. And so when they hear what's going on in this, this, this Gentile area of Antioch, they say, well, we want to send somebody up there to be a blessing to them. Isn't that great? So the church at Jerusalem is actually thriving and, and, and improving in their Christ-likeness during, uh, through this persecution. Now they're sending up Barnabas. And so notice the encouragement of a new church. Encouragement of a new church that was brought about because of persecution. It's encouraged by Barnabas. He gives instruction to the church. Verse 22, Then the tidings of these things came to the ears of them which were in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas. I want you to think about Barnabas for a moment. Perhaps you've heard messages on him, but he was a great guy. Do a Bible, study, uh, Bible character study on Barnabas. He was a great guy. His name means son of consolation, son of encouragement. Don't you love people that encourage don't you love people who look at the glass half full and not, not half empty? Uh, they look at you and see the potential in you. They don't see all the flaws and the, the problems in you and, and constantly bring it up in, in, in your face. If they were to bring up something that, that is afflicting you or a problem in your life, they do it as a matter of con constructive encouragement, not destructive. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know the difference? Don't you love encouragers? Barnabas was that type of person. Think of it in your life, a person who has encouraged you in the Lord, who has been there to encourage you, who has encouraged you to take another step forward, who has encouraged you not to give up. Think of an encourager. Think of Barnabas as being that person. Barnabas was an encourager. He was thrilled in verse number 23 when he saw God at work in their lives. He saw God working. He saw what God had done in saving them and establishing this church there in Antioch. And he was thrilled when he had seen the grace of God. What thrills you? Let's be like a Barnabas. May the work of God thrill our hearts. May the work of God and others thrill our hearts. In verse number 24, we find he was not an apostle. He was a godly man. He was a godly man who was full of the Holy Ghost means he was controlled by the Holy Ghost. And he had faith. Faith. He believed in the ability of God. We look at our obstacles and we say, this is too big for us to go forward. Barnabas looked at the obstacle and said, by God's grace we can go forward. By God's help we can go forward. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't see it like everyone else uh, uh, saw it. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was controlled by him. Oh, that we would be that type of people controlled by the Holy Ghost. We can all be like a Barnabas. That gives me a lot of hope. I don't have to be called into a specific ministry. I can, I can simply be a believer and encourage people in the Lord. Every one of you here today can encourage somebody in the Lord. Make that your goal before you leave, to encourage somebody. To say an encouraging word to somebody. Be a Barnabas to another person that's gathered here today. We can all be like Barnabas, but notice his, his message to them there at Antioch. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Hey, church, cleave to the Lord. Uh, church, make sure that you're sticking close to the Lord. The word cleave here is the idea to stay with, to, to be steadfast, to be remaining firm. Has not this time caused us, caused some believers even of our own testimony, does not this time had the potential to cause us to waver a bit? What's God doing? Does God care? Did he forget about us? Has not 2020 been one of those years that just caused us to, to doubt a little bit? But Barnabas is coming along to these people who, whose church was planted because of persecution. He says, I want you to cleave to the Lord. Now, remember, he's talking to young believers now, there were, some, there were some older believers, no, matter, uh, no doubt they had come up there from Jerusalem, were a part of what was going on there. But he's saying to them, hey, I want you to cleave to the Lord. Be steadfast. Don't move away from Jesus. Jesus said he would never leave us. Unfortunately, many times in our lives, we are tempted to move from him. But Barnabas is saying to this church, to believers like you, saying, cleave to the Lord. Cleave to the Lord. If there's one thing you perhaps would get out of this message today, could I just encourage you this week, cleave to the Lord? 
Stick close to Him. You say, how do I do that? Friends, we say it over and over. This is the living Word. This is the written Word. Cleave to it. Hang on its words. Allow its words to enter your heart. The entrance of Thy Word giveth light. And oh, how we need to stay close to Jesus. And that's exactly what they were being encouraged to do. This was an exemplification of Ephesians 4 and verse number 15. Speaking the truth in love. He went up to that church and he encouraged them, hey, continue on for the Lord. But notice what happens in verse 25 and 26. There was an increase of Christ's likeness. Anytime there is discipleship happening, anytime there is an encouragement in the Word of God, you have the opportunity to increase in Christ's likeness. Notice what Barnabas does. He goes up to Tarsus. See this on a map for a second. 84 miles away, one way, 84 miles away. He goes up to Tarsus and he finds Saul. Saul had come to the Lord. He had been out to Arabia. He had been taught of the Lord. He had been growing in his faith. But Barnabas was a man who, remember, when, he, when Saul came down to, to Jerusalem, Barnabas really just ministered to him, cared for him. And he wasn't done discipling and mentoring him. Barnabas was a person who loved believers. He loved God's people, by the way, that is, a, is an indicator, according to the book of 1 John, that we're a part of the family of God. It's, a, it's, it's, an, it's a, an assurance that we're a part of the family of God when we love one another. And uh, it's also a great testimony to the, to the world around us. But Barnabas loved God's people. And he loved helping them grow in their, in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved helping them become a committed follower of Christ. Not just the people there at Antioch, but now he is seeking out this one, Saul, who he had some unfinished business and unfinished mentoring with. And so he goes up there, he brings them back down, another 84 miles. I don't know how he traveled. But another 84 miles comes back down to Antioch and together, I want you to catch that, together, Barnabas, who'd been walking with the Lord longer than Paul, and Saul, we're getting their names, we're at soon, I can't wait till his name switches, all right? Okay, uh, but these two together, they work in the church, they assemble together for a year, and they work together to teach the people. I want you to catch this, this is really, really important. Barnabas went up to Antioch to encourage and disciple those believers, encourage them to cleave to the Lord. Be a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a disciple. He goes and gets Saul, who already was a follower of Christ, and he, along with them, creates a team, and they together disciple. Do you know that there, um, there, were, there were two groups being discipled in that action? Barnabas was discipling Saul. He's helping him go further in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Helping him to see that God had great potential and great opportunity for him. But they were also discipling together. They were discipling the church there at Antioch. And there was much happening for the Lord Jesus Christ in this action. And notice, Barnabas was the man that God was using to do this. As they discipled, as they taught, I cannot get past what the Bible tells us at the end of verse number 26. And the disciples, notice, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Do you know what happens as... Barnabas, alongside of Saul, are discipling. The result of that was an increase in Christ's likeness. Friends, it is so very important that we grab a hold of this. We are not just wanting people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I got saved. We want to bring them along. And so often we get programmatic in our thinking. We think that discipleship's a program. No. You are disciplers. If you have a, a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, bring someone else along, like um, Barnabas did with Saul. Bring someone else along and encourage. Just be an encourager of those that have, uh, have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage them to take the next step. Encourage them along. And we see as this discipleship is happening there in Antioch, they were called Christians. And you say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is this that that wasn't a term that was used prior to this. It wasn't used down in Jerusalem. And the big deal is that it wasn't a term that the church there at Antioch got together and had a business meeting and said, we're going to dub ourselves Christians here in Antioch. No, what happened is on 
the news outlets and on the street, you see those people that go over to that church, that, that gathering? You see that, that Barnabas? You see that Saul? You see that Ben? Whatever their names were. They're a Christian. They're a Christian. Now, today it's thrown around everywhere. Yeah. Say, uh, you go out and ask people you're witnessing and talking to me. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I give a head nod to God. I believe he exists. I'm a Christian. That's not what this word is. The, the idea of Christian as it, the citizenry of Antioch was labeling the people of this gathering, this church, this called out assembly by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were calling them little Christs. I want you to get the significance of that because as they observed their lifestyle and as they observed their patience and as they observed their love for one another and as they observed their ability to get through trials with peace in their heart and as they observed them living out their lives, they looked at them and said, you look just like Jesus. That's astounding to me. And I found myself just reading this and saying, Lord, help me. Because it's really easy right now to, you know, oh, you look like someone that's rooting for a politician. Or you're, you look like someone who's, you know, rooting for a sports team. Or you, you're, you're a businessman. Or you're a, and you fill in the blank. But oh, that the world around us would say, hey, you look just like Jesus. You're a little Christian. You're a little Christ. Is that possible today? Yes. Now, the word has lost its meaning, and the likelihood if, if someone called us a Christian and wouldn't quite have the same zest, it, 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 might, it might come along with someone saying, listen, you're a real, you're a real Bible thumper. Now, we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we speak the truth in love, Right? But this was a derogatory comment. They weren't saying this because, well, we're just so glad you look like little Christs. You remember, the world hated Christ. All you running around look just like him. But to a believer, what an honor. What an honor. What a growth in Christ's likeness as they, as they grew, as they were discipled along, and this word Christian was applied to them as a label. Let me just ask you a question. Are you living a label-worthy life? Has this past week been a label-worthy life of saying, hey, you belong to Christ, and others seen it in your life. It, have you lived a label-worthy life? Are you willing to live a label-worthy life in the week to come? Lord, help me to look like Christ. Help me to talk like Christ. Help me to, to have an attitude of Christ. Help me to have compassion like Christ. What's the result of, of discipleship in Antioch? There was an increase in Christ-likeness, so much so. You look like a little Christ. Wow. And this all began because some scattered church members came up from Jerusalem and preached Christ on their way. James A. Stewart Put it this way, if these believers had gone from a modern congregation in which the ministry was designated to the sole responsibility of one man, this triumphant period of church history could never have been written. We need to break away. Yes, God establishes, the Bible is clear about this, he establishes pastors, he gifts the church. But friends, the, the ministry, the, the preaching of the gospel, the expressing of the word in our community does not rest solely on my shoulders. It rests on our shoulders together. And oh, that God would so revive our hearts and, and, and make us so in love with Jesus this week that as we go about, we're not, we're not driven. It's not that we have to say, oh, i got to make sure as I go out today, I can't talk about that, I can't talk about that. But that rather, we are so in love with Jesus and so moved by what he's doing in our hearts that we can only talk about him. God, do that. That's what was happening in Antioch. Let's, let's finish it off here. Our theme verse this year is from John chapter 13 and verse number 34 and 35. When Jesus told us a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I want us to realize that this church that is growing and thriving, it's not very old, it's growing and thriving, immediately begins to look like Christ in the way they loved. He said for us as believers to love one another as I have loved you, to love sacrificially, to love when someone can't give back, to love. And so I want you to notice how Antioch demonstrated their Christ-likeness, and God puts this in, in his word for us. Verse 27, we see an exhibiting of Christian love. Notice, there is this prophet that comes up from Jerusalem. He, he senses by the Holy Spirit that there is a famine that's going to come, and it's going to cover the whole earth. It's going to affect everyone in the then-known world, and it's going to be a problem. His name was Agabus. And we notice that a worldwide crisis came upon the world. It was a famine. History tells us that during the, the rule of, of Claudius Caesar, who reigned from January 41 to October of 54, much of his reign was marked by famine. This was accounted uh, uh, by Roman writers and also Josephus. So... During this reign, it actually happened. What Agabus said actually happened, and there was this very difficult time that swept over the whole world. Sound familiar? You with me still? Sometimes we say it's unprecedented. No, there have been problems in the world before, and this one swept the world. It was a famine of food. Jesus told us, John 16 and verse number 3, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have, do you remember? Tribulation. But be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. And it is our Lord that says, hey, there's going to be problems in life. There's going to be worldwide issues. There's going to be crises that come up. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that happened at the cross. Aren't you thankful? So we have this worldwide crisis. What a perfect opportunity for the church to say, no, we got to hoard. we got to keep it to ourselves. we got to have enough for us when this comes. No, what a perfect opportunity for the church to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and to give. And so notice a willing care in verse number 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability. Let's say that together. Every man according to his ability determined. What is that? They made a choice to send relief. What is that? It's, it's financial assistance is what it was. And perhaps there was some uh, other goods involved with it, but it is primarily a financial assistance unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Remember, Judea is down around Jerusalem. That's a region. So it would be like uh, we live in the Miami Valley. So this, this support was sent down, this free will offering, according to their individual ability, was sent down to those in Judea. Now, I want us just to grab a hold of this, because in, in, sometimes in our mindset, we get the idea that if I give, then it's gone. But in God's economy, in the context of the church, in the context of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we give, we're just unlocking the storehouse of heaven. And that's not health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. That's not unlocking the storehouse of heaven so that you can get the, the house you really want or the, uh, the car that you really want. That, that, is a, that is a kidnapping of biblical truth. It's an abuse of biblical truth. But the Bible deal, uh, still does say in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosoms, for with the same measure... That ye meet, that you dish it out, if you will, with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know what God's saying? That as you give, he's going to give back. And as you give, and as you respond to the need, God's going to take care of you. Oh, friends, may we catch that as we go into the days ahead May we catch that we cannot outgive God, and it is a blessing to be a channel of blessing to others. And that's exactly what was happening here. The, the, the church up in Antioch, 319 miles away, heard if they didn't give, they would have never seen the faces of those folks in need down there. They were giving to what was worlds away. 
miles, days away. They would never come across, if they did not give to these people, they would have never bumped into them in the grocery store and, and them say, hey, you didn't help us when we really had a need. They wouldn't. They, their lives were completely separated by that distance. They gave because they loved them. They heard that the believers down there were having a rough time, and they gave because they loved them. Matthew Henry said it this way, God makes the giving hand a getting hand. Uh, God will bless the giving hand, and I want us to understand that. And the grace of God was manifest in these disciples at Antioch as they gave in an uh, anonymous way. They gave spontaneously. They gave proportionately. They didn't say, well, I can't give very much, so I just won't give. No, they just gave as they were able. Isn't that a great thing about our God? You know, I, I can think um, of being in a home back when I was painting and, uh, and seeing a, a, uh, a stack of envelopes uh, from a church that does not preach Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and seeing the requirement that is placed upon people to give. I can think of a man who I, I know very well and I'm praying for his salvation, but one of the reasons that he does not darken the door of a church is because he was hurt so much as a religious leader who was out for profit would not minister to his family because he was not up on his tithes. Now, I want you to realize something. That's not God. And so many times we get in our minds that, you know, there's all this pressure to give. Listen, over and over in Scripture, even the tithe is according to our, according to what God has given us, according to our ability. But free will offering over and over in Scripture is according to our ability as a man wills in his heart. God was not twisting their arms saying, give to the guys down in Jerusalem. Their hearts were moved. Why? Because they loved them. They saw the need. They, they heard about the need, so their hearts were moved, and so they, they gave. Now, I want us just to catch this as we leave. It was taken up for the believers down there in that region of on Judea. It was sent to the elders. The first time that the word elders is used here to describe is the leadership of the church. Remember, elders is another word for pastors. So it was sent to the pastors to be distributed to the, to the different needs. It was, it was properly done. Um, the Bible says in Titus, uh, uh, Titus was told by Paul to set up elders in every city in Crete. Uh, so we see the structure of the church beginning to develop here in the book of Acts. It was delivered by trusted ambassadors, Paul and Barnabas. They took it down to the elders, and the need was met. It just really encourages me to see the church acting like that. You see, well, they weren't that old. Didn't they have... No, they were just beginning to act like Jesus. I want that. I want that for us. I want that for me. I want that. And I want to just encourage you. Because you say, well, Pastor, how are we doing? You know, I am blessed by what God is doing in this place. And just last night, I opened up some mail that was um, mailed in. And I want to I read this to you from a person that came through our, our congregation with a need. Now, understand, as I read this, I'm saying I'm praising Jesus for how Jesus is being reflected in this flock. Right? So this isn't about us. This is about Jesus, what he's doing through us. But dearest friends at Grace Baptist Church, thank you for allowing us to serve our wonderful Savior with you. We thank our Lord for you all, your faithfulness as co-laborers in the ministry. You have been and are such a blessing to our family. Your interest in prayers for in the Bible Project are a great encouragement. Just last week, the Cabinet Minister of Education there in Grenada sent uh, me her personal cell phone number so that we can stay in touch and better plan the Bible Project as the quarantines are being eased in Grenada. I was humbled and overwhelmed by your gracious love offering that totaled $1,055. The Lord used you to help us and in meeting a special need. Thank you. Please pray for us and know that we are I'm praying for you all. Brother Tom Patterson, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 5. Thank you also for the gifts and gift cards and goodie bag for Danette and Samuel. Now, I told you that night 
on a Sunday night that they had come up on hard times. And you know how you responded? You gave. You know what that is? That's New Testament Christianity. I, I have a feeling as I read that, you aren't even missing what you gave. God takes care of it. We need, to, we need to just stay so in love with Jesus that whatever he tells us to do, we do, and, and we follow in his footsteps being Christ's representative in this world and to other believers. And I thank God for what he's doing there in, in, in recording this for us in the book of Acts. But I thank God for what he's doing in our church. And, and may I just leave us with this thought. As we look around us at all the present events and the chaos in our world today, may we surrender ourselves to this, this truth, that all of that is not hindering the church from being built. It's facilitating it. Let's not complain about the hardship. Let's believe that God is doing something greater in us and in our world, in our community, that God is doing something greater. You believe that God is going to create a, a, an unquenchable thirst in people's hearts through this time? That they're going to go somewhere seeking answers. And are you praying, Lord, would you bring them here? Would you bring them here? Would you help us to be able to share the, the life-changing message of the gospel with them? Would you help us disciple them? I find myself praying, and I hope you would too, Lord, forgive me for doubting that you'd fulfill your promise. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not um, prevail against it. Lord, forgive me for doubting your ability to triumph in the midst of chaos and trouble. He showed us right here in this passage of Scripture the church just moves forward. Maybe you would find yourself praying some of those type of prayers. Lord, forgive me for doubting. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me to be more like you. Lord, help me to meet needs as I see them. Lord, help me to be like these people at Antioch. Lord, help me to be like a Barnabas who encourages. Lord, help me. Help me. Uh, that's my prayer this morning, and I hope it to be yours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that, that you wanted us to, to see on this Sunday. And we are very grateful for what you're doing in our hearts through it. Lord, I, I thank you um, for the privilege of being a part of a church family uh, that is growing in Christ's likeness and, Lord, that is um, acting like this church. Lord, we know because you're the standard, we always have room to grow, so we submit to that. We want to grow even today. So, Lord, we, we've not arrived. You know that best of all. Lord, we want to we wanna grow even more this week, so would you help us, and would you help us to be humble in that way? And Lord, I, I really do just thank you for speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed, I want to have an attitude of prayer here as we conclude this service. And I wonder, uh, perhaps, have you, have you received the gospel like those people up in Antioch? Have you repented of your sin? Have you... Have you turned to Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation? Do you know for certain that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life? I wonder first this morning if you just give testimony to that. Pastor, I do know for certain. I do know for sure. I've trusted in Jesus Christ alone. And I've accepted the free gift of eternal life. I know that. And would you give that a as a, a way of testimony? Would you just give an upraised hand to that? I do know for certain that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm saved. Amen. All across the room. Praise the Lord. Don't, don't get over that, friend. And don't let the, the beauty of what you just gave testimony to, don't let that escape you. You'll never face hell because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on your behalf. What a, what a God we serve. Is there anyone here that doesn't know for sure? Uh, you say, I, I, I want to raise my hand, but I, I really don't know that for certain. 
but I'd like to. And would you pray for me that the Lord make this clear for me? I want to know. Amen. Anyone else? One of the best ways that we've found is to be able to sit down personally one-on-one and take the Bible with you and share how you can know for certain and answer any questions. We'd love to do that right after the service. I encourage you to allow us to do that. Believers, can I ask you this? Are you a Barnabas? And I don't want to beat you down. Maybe you say, I'm just not that encouraging of a person. But would you not ask the Lord to help you be a Barnabas this week? Let's focus on what's ahead, not what's behind. Lord, would you help me to be a Barnabas to the Grace Baptist Church? Lord, would you help me to be sensitive to needs? Lord, would you help me to live such a life that my coworkers and my family members would say something like, you look like Christ. I don't know about you, I find myself in, in desperate need of prayer on those questions. So I'm inviting you to stand to your feet and find a place on your knees, either here at the altar or there at your seat. And would you pray, Lord, help me. Help me to be a Barnabas. Help me to love the believers. But Lord, help me to have a, a life that to the world they see me as a little Christ. Would you stand to your feet, find a place at the altar. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's do business with God before we leave. The altar is open. I encourage you to pray, friends. I encourage you to pray. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.